0: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Group void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The
1: building Downtown. Hey, downtown. it's Building Downtown. You can follow us on social media at The Building DT. You can follow and subscribe to the show on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, TalkShoe, wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm your host, Jason Kelly. You can follow me at jkellymma. Follow my co-host, Curl Kasatsky at Curl Raps and my other co-host, Amy Barton at Ames Bell, I almost forgot that for a second. <laughs> so today, we have a lot of unique guests to come through here, but they we seem to have, you know, at least uh, some sort of knowledge on their background and everything else, but today's guest is so unique, I couldn't even come up with a funky intro for her, so let's just bring her in. Executive Director of St. Leonard's Halfway House in Windsor, Ontario, Canada, Catherine Brooke, how's it going?
2: It's going very well, thank you for having me.
1: Yes, thanks, thanks for, for joining us. Thanks for joining us. Now, did I get the title right? That yes. is your correct title? Okay. Now, before we get into anything, before I butcher this, what exactly does your your role entail at St. Lawrence Halfway House?
2: Uh, as the director, I'm basically in charge of the overall management of the residential facility. So that includes anything that goes on, you know, day-to-day within the boring HR media. <laughs> media is not boring, but, you know, making sure that, you know, we're a good community partner, that sort of thing, um, but then also, you know, getting to speak about what we do, which is great. So I'm in charge of all the communications so is, as
3: well. Is there sort of a timetable that you create? Is, there, is that how it goes in there? Or? Um, well,
2: they, we do have a residential program manager that handles the actual residential program that we have. But um, but in terms of seeing the overall structure, who's coming and going, um, how we operate the facility, our relationship with government partners or funders, uh, fundraising so like resources, the resources all that gui- stuff.
3: guidance counselor, yeah. guidance counselor. <laughs> so,
4: so you so you have a lot of free time is what you're saying <laughs> yes yeah. yes and, and i'm not above unplugging a
2: toilet or you know getting meds <laughs> for the guys i mean all of our staff we do what we have to do when we have to do it we're a small staff we're a tight staff uh we're a good team so it's
4: we just do what we got to do day-to-day.
3: how many how many people is in the house
4: Let's back up for a second for people who who don't know where how we connected with you and exactly what it is that you are involved in like, why don't you describe the facility and its purpose before we get into what exactly you do Did today. Yes,
2: so St. Leonard's house um, was formed in actually 1962 by an Anglican priest who noticed um, the trend of men coming off the bus in downtown Windsor, getting out of the institutions and literally having nowhere to go, having no support, having no uh, contacts. So they formed what we now know today as a halfway house. This was the first halfway house in Canada. And yeah. today um, the term for halfway houses technically is community residential facilities. So CRF for short, we usually call it, or you'll hear the term halfway house. So we are strictly federal, so men that are coming out of federal institutions will stay with us for a period of time, ranging anywhere from six months up to we've had folks stay as long as five years. Um, So it really just depends on where they're at in their process, what we can do to support them. Um, And as you heard uh, when you spoke with our outreach worker, Dirk, he sort of explained, you know, like we're not just the house, we really try to... Um, you know, being out in the community as well, we're involved with diversion programs. So making sure that folks don't end up in the criminal justice system in the first place. Uh, We do a lot of outreach with folks that have left the house, we continue to be a support base for them, because we don't want to see them again, we don't want them to have to go through um, the system again. So if you know, if it's a matter of a simple phone call or them stopping in from time to time just to maintain that support, that's definitely something that we want to do.
1: And this certainly isn't an entry level position. So what's a little background on yourself? How did you end up as the role of executive director and, you know, your first steps into this line of work?
2: Yeah, my uh, educational background is in psych and crim, which obviously makes sense. I, uh, I originally started out, I wanted to be a forensic psychologist, I wanted to work for corrections. And then I saw the light and I realized I don't want to be on that side of the table. <laughs> um, I did a lot of work in addictions before I got into corrections. So I worked at uh, a methadone clinic. I worked for our local AIDS committee, um, worked a lot with homelessness populations, addiction populations. Um, I worked at a, a youth shelter. Um, and it's all very difficult work, but seeing the same patterns, um, seeing the same types of folks that... Uh, I've always been sort of you know the one that roots for the underdog I care about the people that nobody else gives a shit about that's what gets me up in the morning Um, and I actually started out at St. Leonard's as a volunteer 20 years ago uh, for that reason because everybody else wanted to volunteer I want to volunteer with kids I want to volunteer with the animals I want to give you know I want to be at the shelter doing the soup kitchen I'm like no I want to be down in you know, ground level with the guys as they're coming out, hear their stories. Somebody, you know, needs to listen to them to even motivate them to want to do better. So, uh, I started out as a volunteer. I did my master's um, research on the lifers at St. Leonard's. So that that right from the start was a passion for me. I really gravitated to those uh, men that had served a life sentence. It's a it's a very different population. Um, I can describe later on what makes them so unique. Um, And then after I did my education there, I really, uh, I missed it. And I, I, you know, I missed being just at that basic social level with folks. I missed being involved. So I joined the board and I was on the board of directors for about 10 years. And uh, it's one of those agencies where, you know, you get one foot in the door and they suck you in and you never leave. (laughs) So um, I've actually been involved with the agency for over 20 years. But in this position, um, I became the director six years ago.
1: And were you, you mentioned, you know, you saw the light, you wanted to be involved in corrections, but you see the other side. What was like the one thing or some of the things that made you make that, that change, career change or career course change?
2: Um, even when I was in school, you know, you always heard about, you know, and, and not to take anything away from the wonderful work they do, but we have victims advocates. We have people um, working on, you know, the other side of the law. And I always felt like, okay, you have folks that commit crimes you have folks that you know do these heinous things supposedly there has to be a reason and something that brought them to that point i don't believe Mm -hmm. that people are born evil um you know there are obviously certain criminals that are the worst of the worst i'm not talking about the one percent i'm not talking about the bernardos and the Clifford olsons i'm talking about 99 percent of the men who have unfortunately a very similar story and you can see exactly when you go back to the childhood when you go back to the opportunities and barriers that they've had you can see exactly why the decisions were made that they were and why they ended up where they were and every single one of us is one poor decision away from being in their shoes so it's and once you you know we we get the files they come across our desk we have people that want to come to our halfway house and Once I read them, once the staff reads them, they go in a file and we start fresh. Okay, your name is so-and-so. Welcome. We're glad to have you. I get to know them for who they are as they present that day. And I I don't, you know, obviously we have safety protocols that we have to follow. But Mm -hmm. uh, I really try to forget what the crime was and get to know that person for for who they are.
3: That's one uh, question I wanted to ask you. Was there any safety concerns for your well-being or... um... (laughs) i i i understand that people change and everything right but the stigma of it right because mm-hmm. uh you're meeting somebody who's done a hard time for sure. v- violent crime or murder a lot of times yep. was there ever concern obviously now that you're so into it right yeah. you you understand that these that, that is different but at first was there
2: yes and no um when i started off uh, as a volunteer for example um I knew that there was an application process to the house. We don't take people who have, um, if somebody has committed first or second degree murder, we don't take anybody with a sexual component to that crime. That is an arrangement that we made with the city of Windsor when we started bringing lifers to the halfway house. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't take anyone who has offenses against children Um, within the house. I mean, you know, we wear the panic buttons. We have cameras. We do the the screening process where people have to apply, we go through their entire records, we read the psychology reports, we read the, you know, the safety reports. So we know who's in our house. Does that mean that something could happen? Sure. At any given time, unfortunately, you know, things happen where there could be a fight, there could be, um, you know, somebody could challenge a staff member, knock on wood in 60 years. We've never had that happen. Wow. We've never had, you know, you might get the verbal altercation between guys we have never had a physical altercation between guys we have never had a staff member injured. Um, we've used the panic button once, and that was because two guys started to kind of go at each other and the staff intervened by, you know, having the police come to the house to break that up. Um, So we really pride ourselves on, and again, it starts with the moment they hit that door, creating that rapport, creating that safe space where like, we're glad to have you here, we want you to be here, we want you to do well, we don't want you to go back, you have an opportunity here to, you know, take advantage of being in the halfway house, exploit the options that you have here, exploit the supports, you're going to be living rent free, you have the opportunity, you know, to find employment, to find housing, to repair relationships, say with family, this is your safe place to be able to make those mistakes. So um I really believe that the staff that we have are, are absolutely amazing and they create that that special bond like right from day one.
3: Um, I'd have a little follow-up for that. So uh let's uh, let's say with the staff is not so many altercation, but uh these people have done a lot of hard time and they have a lot of rules up to certain things, you know, because I I personally know people that come out and they're still on the inside for the first little while. Oh
5: yeah, yeah.
2: You
3: know what I mean? So yeah. uh what I was gonna ask is is there a lot of altercation between the people inside of the house?
2: No. No, so and, you, and I you, don't know. You manage
3: if to keep that in check, huh?
2: We do. And I mean, sure, guys, you know, might not like each other and you hear the, you know, the comments back and forth, um, but it's not worth going back for. And they know that if they get into a physical altercation or start, you know, threatening somebody, they're going to go back. And and the, that other person that they're beefing with, it's not worth it. Mm. Um, or they'll come down and say, listen, I have an issue with so-and-so you know, you better keep us apart or whatever. And and we take that very seriously. And we're not, if we also are able to look into an individual's past to see if there's incompatible. So if there's somebody coming to the house, we're not going to let the co-accused come. We're not going to let somebody who maybe had, um, you know, an issue with the other person in the past. So we make sure that we don't have folks coming in that, uh, that have an issue with
5: each other. Mm -hmm.
4: So and it's pretty much, it's an ongoing case of like, you've made it this far and they don't, don't really violate it. Well, it's them. not
2: worth, and the same thing with staff, you know, a lot of the, the staff think like, well, especially as a woman, you can't possibly feel safe working there. I am not worth going back to jail for, them. you know what I mean? <laughs> They're not going to risk how far they've come to to do something stupid like that. And and a lot of times, even if a, a resident will start to, to mouth off to one of the staff, the other guys will get involved and be like, knock it off. Like, what are you doing? They're here to help you. Why are you, you know, getting on their case. So it's, they kind of, you know, police each other too.
1: Where where you, like you just said, you know, a lot of people look at these people like they're, you know, they're the lowest form of society. They don't even want to extend any sort of help to these people. So yeah. do, do a lot of people that come in there, are they reluctant at first to think like, you know, anyone that's ever tried to help them has done them wrong? So yes. are they kind of hesitant to accept what you're offering?
2: Sure, definitely. We are seen as CSE, we are part of Correctional Services Canada. And I make it very clear. They pay our bills. We are not CSC employees. I do not uh, work for them.
5: Hmm. Uh, They're the
2: ones that did like I am not the judge, I am not the jury, I am not the police that arrested you, I am not the lawyer that was out to put you away. I'm not your institutional parole officer. I'm not your parole officer.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: I don't want you to go back. I need you in my bed. I need to, you know, collect money essentially off mm-hmm. you being in my bed. I yeah. don't want you to go back. I don't want you to be unsuccessful. What I say to people on the street, when they say, like, how can you work with those people? I say, well, they're going to get out. If you don't like the sentences, take it up with the law people. They're the Mm -hmm. ones that make the laws. I don't make the laws. I don't have to agree with them. Do I think that somebody who has, you know, done something heinous should get out in 10 years. That's not up for me to decide. They've Mm -hmm. already done their time. When they come out, my job is to make sure that they are successful with reintegration. And Mm -hmm. a lot of that has to do with, you know, what
1: they choose to do with their time out. What, uh, what stage would... So I know Dirk, uh, for those that don't know what we're talking about, may not have caught it. the episode, I guess it would have been before this one. We had on Dirk Young, who spent some time there. He now works in the outreach program. Is that correct? Yes. Catherine, okay, yeah. It's a great episode. I encourage anyone to go mm-hmm, listen to it. Yeah. It, was, it was amazing. Dirk is... And I'm not tooting our own horn. Dirk, no, he's, he's right. He's, he's character. He's,
4: <laughs> yeah, man, he was
1: amazing. So he, he, he talked about it a little bit, but I, I assume you can elaborate more on it. What uh it's not like they just you're in jail for 14 years and when that that mark hits you go to St. Leonard's that's not how it works right no. there's there's stages they have to go through so they are they are on the path to being rehabilitated, reform. I don't know what the yes. correct word would be by the time they get to you. Yes. That's correct. Yes. Okay. So does that make them know what's to come, what to expect? Because you keep saying they don't want to fuck this up, right? They don't want to get sent yes. back. So that's there has to be some sort of stages set up between sitting in that cell. Yes. And sleeping in a bed at St. Leonard's house. What Definitely. are the steps that are taken in between
2: from the day somebody gets charged? I reach out to them. We send them a letter and an application package saying, listen, you're from Windsor. Chances are you're coming back here. You need to add us to your phone list. You need to start making a relationship with us. Now we are here to support you literally from day one. I don't care if the guy's not getting out for 10, 20 years, we mm-hmm. still start that communication. We have some men that Holy we have shit. dealt with for decades that are serving a life sentence that we still support. We have a 90 year old gentleman that we're trying to get out. We have, you know, (laughs) it's it's ridiculous that some of these folks are still in, but that's, I think what makes us so special because we do start that relationship day one. And even if you decide down the road, you know what, I need to get out of Windsor. I'm going to relocate somebody else. We're still going to support you. You know what I mean? Mm. Like we don't just, you don't have to come to us to get our support. We've also had a program for a very long time. It was called Lifeline. Then it was canceled by the conservative government. We brought it back under a different name, self-funded. That's a whole other episode. (laughs) We hire lifers to go back into the institutions and to literally work with these guys from day one. Because when you go inside and you're facing 10, 20 years, there is no hope like you there's what's going to keep you going what's going to motivate you to do these correctional programs and to meet with your parole officer and have you know positive outlook mm-hmm. so yes they have the phone support with our staff but at the same time who better understands what they're going through than somebody who's
3: been there well, same, It same we, we touched on it with dirk it's it's sort of an addiction based right it's uh who else nobody else will understand an addict like another addict sure. right Sure. So that's 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 how it works, and it's a beautiful thing you got going on there. Um, uh, how long were you in touch with Dirk before he got out?
2: Oh gosh, um, I knew him for the full six years that I was there, but he had already started communicating um, with her caseworkers, Jen and Michelle, probably maybe five, six years before that. So pretty much most of his sentence. We've so been of, looking
3: you know, looking forward to this all That yeah. yeah.
2: So we supported him all throughout. Uh, We had, like I said, our in-reach worker that worked with him. Um, And then when it sort of, so what the process looks like. So they go in, there's gonna be that cascading from maximum to medium to minimum that Dirk talked about. There's gonna be different programs that Corrections is gonna expect them to do um, based on different risk assessments and that sort of thing. When it gets to the point of that day parole eligibility or we know that they're getting towards the end of their sentence they can have their <laughs> parole officer inside make a request to us and the the windsor parole office will you take this person and it's a formal you know approval process that we go through and once they are approved then that goes to the parole board they meet with the parole board. parole board says yay yeah, or nay and if they're granted um, day parole i mean it's a simplification of the process but if they're granted day parole then we are notified and we prepare for them to come.
3: Is, I mean, in, in, sorry, in this ahead, so sorry, no, sorry, no. No. in this case, is justified, but that seems like a lot of back and forth paperwork. Huh?
2: A, a lot of it. I, I, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Especially with lifers, it, it drives us crazy because they have what they call unescorted temporary absences. So you have the thing with lifers. A lot of these people have never seen the inside of a prison. They've never so much as received a parking ticket. A lot of it is domestic abuse, um, or it could have been, you know, the bar fight that went wrong. It could be one drug dealer, you know, knocking off another drug dealer, whatever the, the case may be. These aren't necessarily people that are lifelong hardened criminals. So when they come to us and say, well, you know, we need to be, very gradual with this and we're going to make them cascade down to minimum and then they have to go out into the community you know escorted absences and make sure that they can handle that and then we're going to make them do these unescorted absences where they go to a halfway house maybe three times over a year to prove that they can be trusted and then we're going to go back to the parole board and see if you know but then we can grant day parole whereas a lot of times we've been working with this person for decades we feel we have a good rapport with them we're willing to take them right on day parole. If they screw up, they're going to go back anyways. I don't know why they have to necessarily come to the community for, you know, a week or so to, to prove themselves. Um, it's actually, I think somewhat cruel to make, fo- you know, you come out for a week, you set up a right. bank account, get your, maybe get your ID updated, make a connection with the halfway house, get to know the halfway house. Okay. Now you've got to go back, go back, We'll reapply for another UTA, you can come back down again, you're going to get to know us again, we're going to do a little bit of programming with you, and then we're going to send you back. And then you get to do it one more time. And then you're going to go to the parole board and say, see, I was a good boy, I did everything you asked of me, can I go and stay now at the halfway house. So it, it can be frustrating, I understand why they do it, they want a gradual release, because you're going from a very toxic environment. Where, I mean, every single person that comes out of those environments has PTSD. I don't care what anybody says. You can't live in that environment without being affected by it. So I understand the reason for that gradual release. But to me, I would rather see them get out sooner and spend a longer period of time in the community working with us. Being inside longer is not helping the situation. It is creating a much bigger problem.
4: So what happens if, you know, you're saying the process starts day one um what happens if day one they go I don't want to save your number I don't want to hear from you go fuck yourself yeah that's fine that's fine <laughs> I mean but, but did <laughs> reach back out after they <laughs> had some time to exactly like- when
2: and if you're ready you know where to find us if you want to go to another community let me know where you want to go I can make a connection for you like it's some people don't want to come back to where the crime happened because they're trying to you know they get sober or they they realize I can't go back there because that's where my demons are great go to another community. I, I totally encourage that. But if they want to come back home and they, they want assistance with that, let us know.
1: Is there any leniency to what before, like can somebody have, you know, make mistakes and not get sent back? Is there any, so there's a little bit of leniency there, a little bit of leeway?
2: It really is a case by case basis. Um,
5: yeah.
2: One of our biggest, another misconception is, well, these guys are just going to get out and do it again. No, recidivism, yeah. recidivism rates are very low. People are not going back to prison because they've committed a new crime. They're going back because they've breached a condition.
1: Violated parole or something, right? And it's yeah. it's yeah. a
2: dirty piss task. Nine times so, out of 10, mm. they've used drugs or they've yeah. used alcohol or they were hanging out with the woman that they were not, you know, not supposed to be associating with. It's not mm. because they've committed a new crime. So the biggest struggle we have is especially over substance abuse because we know sending them back is not going to fix the addiction problem maybe we need to keep them in the community and wrap more supports around them so uh, last couple of years um our residential program manager michelle she is a certified addiction counselor we've developed our own program in-house because Mm -hmm. the wait lists are unbelievable um and it's not always you know conducive for them to if they're working making those AA meetings. And not everybody wants to do AA. Not everybody wants to go to a residential treatment center. Um, So we provide that in house. So I would much rather have him, you know, okay, yeah, you've got a problem. We need to address it. We're gonna have you meet with our addiction person an hour a week, every week. You're gonna have to do that. You're gonna have to do, you know, your your P tests and that kind of stuff to make sure you're okay. We're gonna be checking in on you more, but let's try this first. And Mm -hmm. then if it happens, you know, that third, fourth time, okay, you're not getting it. You're not taking it seriously. You're going to have to go back.
1: Yeah. And as much as I'm sure a person in your position, no matter how much you care, you cannot become too personally attached to these people. Are there still some over your career that have just been fucking heartbreaking to see them go back? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's gotta be rough. Yeah.
2: There are days that we are all in tears and it's not because we're a bunch of sappy women. It's because we care. You can't not care about some of these folks. Some of them are, you know, the complete assholes that I don't ever want to see again. And we can yeah. people because they don't get it. They're never going to get it. I don't have time for those people. The people mm-hmm. that want help, they want to change. I will bend over backwards for.
3: You but would even- think that by getting to this point where you are they were working with you, you um, most of them would not want to go back or or slip up or anything like that, right? Because I know, yeah. like, I, I have enough friends that have been through, through the system, and I know for a fact that when people do federal time, right, when they go into penitentiary, they just want to do their time, right? And, and they want to get out because they know they're doing a long time. Where in Milton, uh, we just took like a jail, jail, right? The, uh, I know, well, I know of one guy that went in to do six months, that did two and a half years.
2: Yeah. That's another misconception. The public thinks, Oh, these sentences aren't long enough. Oh, they're long enough because they go past the dates because of the bureaucracy and the administrative bullshit that goes on. Mm. People definitely serve longer than
1: Amy, you were going to chime in with something there. So before I move on, yeah, I was just
4: curious, you mentioned, you know, lists and all that. What is um, the capacity? What is your capacity? We can
2: Mm. um, we used to take up to 28 um, and then we started, uh, we, we take 25. We can have, we can cram more in if we have to. Um, <laughs> 25 is is a comfortable max. I mean, when you start getting into, you know, 26, 27, it can get.
3: Is this Ontario or is this from all over the country?
2: Um, we will take anybody from all over the country.
3: From anywhere? Wow.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. So when the, guy, when the guys come in that are, they want to be, you know, they want to get back on the right path and you're doing everything you can. Where What do you start with? First, I know you mentioned IDs and stuff like that with the UTAs, but like, say, uh, when would uh, finding a job come into play or getting them enrolled in some sort of organization that's outside of that, whether it be a sports league, a card league, whatever the hell it may be to build their social skills. Uh, What is the process for that? And I mean, especially working, you being the one that's representing them, they're pretty much being up front and saying that, you know, I have a criminal record and it's I didn't I didn't steal a car. Right. Like I did something. So what challenges does that propose?
2: Uh, well, when folks first come, we usually give them a time to just decompress. I mean, the first week we're not going to bug you, just, you know, rest, nope. get settled, Um, get, to, if you're not from Windsor, especially get to know the neighborhood. Um, And then we start working on the things like ID, getting a doctor. Um, We have an employment counselor in-house, so he'll help with resumes, job contacts. We work with, if somebody excuse me, is really anxious to get that job, we can connect them with the different employment programs out there. we have connections with different employers that they they're willing to, you know, give our guys a shot. Um, and it really depends on them. If this is an older person who's basically around retirement age, obviously, our plan with him is going to be very different. And it would mm-hmm. be focused probably more on volunteering, or finding, you know, some kind of an activity to keep them Busy. The younger guys, we really do push employment. If they have not finished schooling, we really encourage them to to get at least finish high school or to pick up some kind of a trade. We do have an um, an education fund where we can help them with whether it's getting your forklift license, what whether it's you know different types of computer programs, whatever, just to get them you know more employable. Uh, But some of the guys, especially ones that have just come out of treatment or have a mental health or addiction issue. We're not going to be pushing employment. They need to take that time in the house to focus on themselves and to get them to a point where they are even able to handle something like a job or, or you know that kind of a commitment.
3: I imagine it's a fair, sorry. I mentioned no, it's no, no. like uh, difficult to get a job as a felon, right after doing the time and everything. Um, what in your What in your experience was the most common job that people got after that's what i was gonna ask yeah, yeah. What, industry? Is, what is the yeah. you know what i mean because yeah. um from, from 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 what dirk told us he's got a stack of certificates and it's still a hell of a yeah it's a big job together anything, job yeah
1: yeah
2: it depends on what you're willing to do there's work there's definitely work available Not well, what, everybody's what would you
3: or, what would you say was the most common one between
2: general labor
3: general labor rework,
2: yeah. Um, where you, I mean, you can make a decent wage, you know, if you're willing to, to work at a factory, um, they don't care about your criminal background, they don't, you're not going to work with children, you're not going to be a counselor, if you were, <laughs> you know, um,
3: Brinks truck driver, Brinks account- truck driver. <laughs> no,
2: but say you were an accountant before, you're not going to be working at a bank, you know what I mean, like, yeah. there are certain places you are no longer an option for you. Um, but we've had different guys start their own businesses start their nice. own like groundskeeping or they'll do um you know like uh, like some kind of a general labor we have guys that went in with skills they were a plumber beforehand they were a welder beforehand they come out they get back in with their union and pick up where they left off so i mean it's hmm. there is a misconception nobody's going to hire somebody with a criminal record a lot of places don't even ask do you have a yeah. criminal record you know because they, they they're desperate for
5: good workers
3: Yeah you have to disclose what kind of criminal record do you have? I know you have to say you do have a criminal record, but um depends because so there could be tests under 5,000 and there could be uh-huh. a gun charge or, you know, we, what en- I mean?
2: we encourage the guys to, to be honest, because your parole officer is going to want to meet with you from time to time. If you have, um, you know, they're going to see your address. There, there's, there's always ways that it could come out. We encourage the guys to be honest. They don't have to. Um, And a lot of times, honestly, it's not a big deal. The employers don't care. They want somebody with a good work ethic who's going to show up, who's going to do the job and not call in sick every five minutes. That's what they want.
3: True enough. But I would imagine it's easier to say that I was stupid. I stole something or then, then rather than I did 10 years for a gun. Yeah. Right. That's that's why that's kind of what I was looking at.
2: Yeah. But, Uh, but, but unfortunately, some of those guys that have done the trafficking the robbery, the, um, you know, human trafficking, they're not too uh, motivated, shall we say, to find a job. Like th- there's, there's two different kinds of guys in the house too. There's the one that are t- truly committed to wanting to do anything to change their path. And we have a lot of other guys who are not ready. They're they're just biding their time till they can get back out there and do what they're doing before. I would
4: imagine too, though, that like the companies that are, at one point we're like willing to work with you have probably grown into maybe even preferring some of your guys. I mean, yeah. if you talk about the work ethic, like, who better than somebody sure. who's fighting to never go back to what they just got out of? Like they're going yeah. to show up on time. They're going to work and they need, <laughs> and, they need the money.
2: And we're not going to recommend people that we know aren't ready yet. You know, we're not going to set somebody up to fail. If somebody doesn't have transportation, which is a huge barrier, somebody doesn't have transportation if somebody can't read or write, if somebody has, you know, English as a second language issue, we take that into account when we're looking, you know, for job placement for people.
1: And what about for elderly people that come out that have health complications? Cause yes. I mean, say you do something when you're 41 years old and you do a 20 year sentence, you're 61 years old. Now it's much harder to find employment when you're 61 years old and you have health complications. If you did 20 year, 20 year bid, you weren't uh, getting all the vitamins you need from the time you're 41 to 61. So what kind of challenges does that propose when you're working with someone like that? They could be diabetic, whatever it may be. Yes,
2: it is a challenge. We have some older men right now who want to work who physically don't feel they are able to work or they can't do the type of work that is available. So Mm. that general labor, um, they can't, they can't physically do it anymore. So we will help them possibly um, get a disability application going Um, Or we try to find some other kind of part-time work that would, you know, be more accommodating of their situation. We also have a program in the house, we call it Good Neighbour Service, where we are actually working with the City of Windsor with the different business improvement associations where we, people who need to do um, community service hours, our guys are, that are with us that are having a hard time finding employment or are not as employable, we go out and we do graffiti removal, litter pickup, um, just trying to, keep, you know, give back to the community and keep our, our
3: communities clean. No, I love graffiti. <laughs>
4: <laughs> so what about, like, you, you mentioned a couple times already that, you know, there's a couple types, right? And, and some of them just want to get the hell out of there. They want to get done. So while they're there, I mean, there's an application process, there's intake, there's all these regulations and stipulations people have to meet. So then they get in and they're of the group that just wants to be done. Like, what are the requirements to stay there successfully? Do they have to look for a job? Do they have like, what do they have to do while they're there?
5: The
2: parole board can put different um, conditions on you. One condition can be to seek or remain employed. That's usually for somebody who is a drug trafficker. They want to make sure that you have a legitimate source of income coming in. Mm -hmm. We have had to let people uh, go because they did not take it seriously. And they did not try to find a job or they refused to stay employed. They went back to jail. And, and at some point it becomes, it's not even up to us. The parole board or the parole office is going to step in and say, listen, you're not doing, you're not following your conditions. You're not following your treatment plan. We're pulling, we're pulling you.
3: And what um, do they do? What do you do? Do you go to jail or do you go back to federal?
2: You go back to federal. Oh Yeah. So, I mean, you need to follow those conditions. And if it's just a matter of having a job, you need to get your job. And even if it's just until you're off paper, I mean, once you hit that warrant expiry date, you know, off the record, parole doesn't care what you do either. Just get off (laughs) paper, right? There's certain folks we know we're going to see them
4: again. I mean, that's just the, you know, unfortunately, the system. For you guys, though, like, obviously there's parole, but and like, whatever conditions, but like, do you have house rules? Like, what is the... We do. Um, and, and it's it's not hard to stay in our house.
2: I mean, yeah. the rules are pretty basic. Don't get in a fight. Don't have an attitude issue. <laughs> Don't do be a good chore. Clean up after yourself. You got to come in for curfew. Don't bring drugs into the house. Don't come back boozed up because it's not fair to the people that are there trying to be, you know, sober. Um,
3: is it? Is so it's it like of... living
2: with
4: your parents again is basically. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Is,
3: is one of the conditions of staying in a house, oh, sorry, is sober one of the conditions of staying in a house?
2: According to parole, yes. You must, if you have a drug and alcohol condition, you cannot have drugs or alcohol in your system at any time.
3: But what if you don't?
2: That's when you possibly are looking at going back. You're going to be um, suspended.
3: No, but I mean, if you don't have drugs and alcohol on your condition, are you yes. allowed? Yes. Are you allowed?
2: Yes. Uh, we don't allow it in the house and we don't want you coming back visi- visibly impaired mm-hmm. out of respect to the other guys. But
1: you could go out and you go out and have a beer or something with a friend. You go,
2: go have a beer. You can go. That's no weed. problem. I mean, it's legal. Yeah. You know, do what you want. We're not, we're not stupid.
4: We're also, <laughs> we're also very. don't like living with your parents. And we know what goes
2: on. We know what's in the house. We're not stupid on that either. I know the guys have drugs in there. We do, you know, random room searches. We know who's doing They think they're slick. We know who's doing what, when they're doing it.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but at the same time, we try to, you know, we're very focused on harm reduction. If we have somebody coming in who's had, you know, a 20 year addiction to crystal meth fentanyl. And the first thing he wants to do is get his marijuana license. Come on, sit down. We're gonna get you hooked up on your marijuana license. I would much rather have him
5: mm-hmm.
2: going for a walk around the block every two hours to calm himself then worrying, is he going to overdose upstairs on fentanyl? Like you have to look at it that way too. We have a lot of guys on methadone, suboxone, opiate replacement therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, We know the guys are going to use. Mm
5: -hmm. We
2: don't, obviously we don't want them to, we want them to be sober. We want them to be healthy, but we also want to provide the type of environment where they can come down to us and say, screwed up or used and if they come down and they admit it we are a hundred percent more likely to say okay what are we going to mm. do Let, let's advocate for you let's let's get a plan in place a treatment plan in place versus pulling support and sending would you
3: cover up for some people and not report to parole if no, you see none not a no. mistake no we would lose our I mean, <laughs>
2: contract over that <laughs> no because it's not helping the right it's not it's not helping anybody
3: well, I mean, you know, it's a great guy. And then, oh, just.
2: <laughs> trust me. Trust me. We, this I is
3: had why had, you don't do this.
2: <laughs> there's nothing worse than a grown man in your office, bawling, sobbing, begging for somebody to please help me. I can't do this. And I'm supposed to then call the parole office and say, okay, you know, come and get him." No, I, I don't want them to come and get him because that's not going to help. That's not going to, that's just, prison is a band-aid. It's not going to solve anything. I'd much rather, you know, keep them in the house and send them to, you know, a treatment program, or, or if he goes back, fine, they do have um, drug and alcohol halfway houses that guys can go to specifically for it. So
3: you'd, you'd pretty much do anything in your power not to send them back to the of fed, course. Right? Of course. Okay.
2: Have and, you have- and again, we can't put more effort in than they do. If it gets to that point where we're more, you know, like, did you make that appointment? Did you do this? You know, okay, you, did did you follow up on that? If they're not yeah. willing to do their part, then we're not either, right? But if we know they're truly trying and they're struggling, we're going to go to bat for them. Well,
1: that's, sure. that's what would you like air. to see? Uh, oh, sorry, we're going to add something no, else. No, no, no. What What would you was or is there anything you'd like to see done on um, like the 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 prison side of things that you think would help these people for when they get to your hands and your care?
2: Prison doesn't work. Deterrence doesn't work. Punishment doesn't work. I want to see a therapeutic environment. These people need to be healed. They, they need to have people. Criminals are created by the circumstances that they've been raised in the barriers that they faced. We all know like the whole nature and nurture argument. We all know, you know, that somebody who has been bounced between 20 foster homes from the age of five who's been sexually molested, whose, you know, parents started them on drugs at age 12. Like, do you think that they're going to, you know, turn into be, you know, the model citizen? Some do, some do. Chances are not though. Yeah. But I mean, when you see the files and the unbelievably horrific situations, we have folks that have attended the residential schools, the training schools where, you know, you've got these supposed, you know, great religious leaders that are holding all out fight clubs among the kids for their, you know, entertainment. Mm -hmm. And so you, you know, and you expect me to think that the system works. No, the system does not work. I would like to see more, um, you know, let's start working to heal the situation that created this
5: problem.
3: So if, if we imagined it for a second, how would you imagine this healing? Say somebody committed a crime what what would the healing process be? A lot of counseling, or I
2: think a lot of sentences shouldn't even be in prison. I think there should be, um, you know, like first time offenders, certain drug related offenses. If non violent offenses, I don't think need to be done in a prison environment. I think most people need uh, drug and alcohol treatment, mental health. They have mental health issues. Um, I think they'd much be better served in the community whether it's in a facility like ours or even on house arrest with with a mo- electronic monitoring you have to see a therapist you have to go to you know this residential treatment program whatever it may be way further ahead than going to prison and being in that environment and and learning god knows what and how to get away with this and this is yeah. drug learning how
3: to, how to how to get better right? and yeah. well, what's yeah.
4: interesting about all of that at a really high level to me is that it's not hard to get people to agree with the idea that a lot of times, not all criminals, but many of the most of them, you know, are a product of their environment. And, and yeah. this happened when they were a child, or this thing happened when they were a teenager, or they were in 20 foster homes, or any number of things, right? That's easy for people to believe. And the base thought there is you're a product of your environment. But when you try to extrapolate that out to you get put in prison which is a very toxic environment, and then you are a product of that environment. That part, people can't make that leap. It's it's fine if it's a kid. You're a product of being a kid. They they can't wrap their head around how you could be so terrible or how your life could be so awful or how it's hard to rehab people out of prison, even though they're now a product of that environment, which is a terrible environment. And I say to
2: those people, how freaking lucky for you that you don't get it that you've yeah. never had the situation that where you could have gone down that path. Like you, you don't understand. So don't have a comment on it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And if you have an issue, like I said, somebody, you know, does, um, you know, murder, were you in the situation? Do you know what the circumstances were? Was it intentional? Was it, you know, what led up to, to that point? Was there drugs involved? Like it's, it's never, it's, when you look at some of the crimes that have happened, especially with murder people, again, people say, how can you work with those people? Aren't you afraid? No, because they're so they're highly situational. Mm-hmm. You know, we have men who have gone and killed their abusers. They've gone and killed the abusers that have been abusing their children. Like I'd be doing the same thing. How am yeah. I, why would I be afraid of that person? I'm Not afraid of that person because they did something that's very, you know, it's, it's a natural instinct Oh, wow. sometimes to want revenge against people or you, you get so far gone in a situation. It, it's, it's easy sometimes for those situations. And,
4: and at that point you're back to, um, you know, mental and emotional help is what people need. I mean, look, we can all agree that killing somebody is wrong. Yes. It's illegal for a reason, but <laughs> if you, if you yeah. never get to the why it happened part, you'll never fix any of it.
2: Yes. And when you have people that are saying I need help, I have a problem. Okay, well, we're gonna set you up with a with a therapist you can't afford right. or we're gonna put you on a wait list for two years to get you know the cheap side one that you don't have to pay for but you know it's probably somebody you know <clears throat> with less experience whatever
5: mm-hmm.
2: I'm gonna get every all the students in my me you now but I mean, <laughs> our the system. It, it's it never invests in prevention it's always let's fix it after the fact and it, and it doesn't work and for people that don't care about people look at it from a taxpayer standpoint why would you spend hundreds of thousands of thousands of dollars to incarcerate somebody when it costs a quarter of that to put them in a therapeutic environment or even a halfway house situation where you're getting better support and better management It it doesn't make financial sense to have people.
1: Yeah. With, when you know, the the budget, like you said, you guys fall kind of under the same budget as a correctional facility. Those, the budget, like, are you guys lower on the the list of priorities compared to the the prisons?
2: I'm going to give you a statistic.
4: Okay. Oh, no. Correctional
2: Services Canada gets billions of dollars. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in the community, we house 40%. Of the federal population. 40% okay. of all the criminals are in the community doing some kind of a release. Yeah. We make up 4% of <laughs> oh, Correctional my. Services Canada's oh, budget.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, How do you guys survive? Are there, is there, is there people that give donations? Like, yes. where, where do you guys pull the money from?
2: Yes. Because
3: you guys do don't a- have much to work with, by no. the sounds of it.
2: No, we do a yeah. lot and
3: of And people, people that just did 10, 15 years won't really have much to donate either, right? Yeah, no, and
2: no, and you are not in this work to make money. That is not why we do right. it. Our folks well, are but you, extremely underpaid. You still got to
3: <laughs> <gotta laughs> float and survive somehow, right?
2: Yes. So, I mean, we, we do. And it's, you know, through proper financial management and, you know, doing the best we can. Um, we invest in the areas that we can. Could we do more? Yes. I, I, I tell people even $100,000 more a year, I could have, you know, the best mental health professionals working in house and it would solve so many problems, wow. but that's not, that's not on top of the priority of, you
5: know,
1: Shit.
2: Corrections. and like
1: you've mentioned a few times too, like, you know, these, these things, they usually come from like these uh, major crimes, I guess we'll say oh, history abuse, whatever, maybe a highly situa- situational thing, like you said, so in your opinion, would you say like someone who's just a straight up fucking nut? Fuck, they'll put a bullet in anyone's head for no reason. Like, are those cases very, very rare? To very be rare. That? And yeah. Not getting out. Yeah. Like
2: everybody freaks out when Paul Bernardo gets a parole hearing. He is it's never getting out. Getting out. Mm. He's a dangerous offender, which is an uh, indeterminate sentence. He's never getting out.
1: You know what's messed up about that, though? Carla Homolka. How the hell did she get out? Right. Because like,
2: the lawyers, okay, cut need a, deal. a witness and cut a deal. Again, it's not
1: it's
4: no, wait, this the American system. doesn't know who this person is.
1: Yeah, Amy's <laughs> like, what are you guys talking about? Actually <laughs> What's
4: happening? didn't even live Krill didn't most, even
1: live in Canada then, so yeah. he's probably wondering a little bit too.
2: One of the most prolific killers in, in Canada.
5: Um
1: yeah,
3: the I Ken mean, and Barbie killers.
2: Serial killers in Canada don't compare to right US we're Indian psychos down style. here yeah. wow. thankfully
3: well the population is also five times better thankfully right? but, but yeah but those
2: folks retail? aren't aren't getting out and nor should they get out i mean there, there's a, there's people yeah. who are you know you can rehab and there are other people that truly do not serve. and
1: homoka got a job at a school when she first got out i couldn't believe what i found about that in the news
3: who fucking missed this i'm still shocked that even though she told or whatever and they cut a deal Mm-hmm. The ev- evidence comes out that she mm-hmm. pretty much was a lead hand, right? Oh, yeah, she, it was her sister. I don't know. I, well, I think...
2: you can again, you can thank the legal system for that because they've
1: got some, yeah, there's proof do... right there. There's evidence right there how shitty the
3: legal system is. Yeah. Carlo yes, is walking around free as a bird, in my opinion. It doesn't matter what kind of deal it was. If you find out that kind of shit, you yeah. should be, you know, what I mean, that was that was very, very crazy. Have you lived in Ontario your whole life, Catherine? Yes,
2: I've been living oh. in my whole life.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. I've been in Kitchener, Kitchener, Waterloo area my whole life. So yeah, I guess you remember that very well when that was oh, going yes. on. The white Camaro and everything. And oh, yes. man, what a crazy time because we don't see shit like that around here.
2: But again, here's somebody who again, like, this is the psychologist criminologist in me, I want to, you know, get in there and think, okay, so what happened, you know, at age four, age six, there's right. gotta be something in <laughs> that created this person, yep. right? do I think he should get out? Absolutely not. Am I defending him? Never. But again, there must what's, what's going on there that, you know, would have created this person.
4: What's your take on, um, because it's a big, big industry, true, true crime as entertainment. Oh yeah. I mean, do you have any feelings on it? Um, yes and no. I'm torn because obviously
2: I grew up watching that stuff. That's why I ended up doing what I'm doing. Right. People are drawn to it because I, I think because it's, People can't understand how people can do those types of things and live like that. Yep. Um, I, I got into it again because it was sort of like what led them to do that. Um, I, I do have a really hard time. Like when people approach us and they want us to do a fundraiser. Yeah. Can you, uh, can you give us a guy to tell us his story and, and, and we're going to come and we're going to take pictures. Not in my no, house.
5: Not you exactly. are not yeah. going
2: to exploit these people. For your to sell your, you know, whatever. I I, I refuse that. And and even in like when I was doing homelessness work, we talk about poverty porn. Like you're not, Mm -hmm. you're not exploiting these people to make yourself look good. Like I gave to this cause and I went to McDonald's and I came back and I gave my McDonald's to that guy Mm -hmm. on the (laughs) porn. Well, good for you. You know, (laughs) what systemic change are you possibly, you know, doing with that? Like, good, that's a good deed. That's great. Do you need to post about it on social media? Yep. that that kind of stuff just drives me crazy
1: yeah well,
4: yes they do because that's why they did it
1: yeah that's exactly why they did it so they go make a Facebook status yeah. look at me go get their <laughs> likes up <laughs> pathetic
2: but but I also believe that by studying it and exploring it and raising awareness about stuff you know that there's at least a possibility to hopefully you know change the system and I've seen changes where it's gone from obviously deterrence-based punishment. We're going to, you know, put these people in, you know, they shouldn't have any time out time outside of their cell. And it's definitely changed. There's more of a human rights approach to it. And Canada's system is obviously, you know, way better than than
4: what goes on in in the States. So what would, I mean, there's a lot of, whether you want it to be the case or not there's a lot of negativity there are a lot of challenges um a lot of sad moments and stories and whatnot but what are some of your from your time there uh maybe not names or whatever but favorite like success stories that you've seen somebody really just shoot out of there and, and be what they were going to be
2: yeah um you know what it, it's it's funny we um one of the things that we've done in the last couple of years we adopted a dog
5: for the house Yay.
2: So nice. I saw that on the
1: website. That was we've cool. We've got
2: this, this huge husky, this old grumpy dog, <laughs> but, but he's so good because we have men that come into the house who've got, you know, you got the neck tattoos, you know, they've got the, just these really hardened, think they're so tough or whatever, and you'll see the so you dog curled up on the couch, <laughs> talking baby talk, you know, to a, to a dog, you know, or to see... Um, you know, we've had people, when people will come down and say, you know what, thank you for, for listening to me. Nobody's ever done that before. Or for the guy who gets the high school diploma, or, you know, we had one guy come in who had never worked a legitimate job in his life, had mm-hmm. never earned legal income. And we got him a job and he came in and he was so proud that first day. Mm hmm. And the the smile on his face is probably a smile that he hasn't had in decades. And we were so excited for him and pumping him up and, you know, tell us all about it. This is so great. And we're so proud of you. And he just, he didn't look like he knew whether to to cry or (laughs) to, you know, celebrate or he was embarrassed. Like it was, I don't know. It's, it's, um. It's, you feel very protective, you know, of, of a lot of the guys and and especially the older ones too. It's like, you want to make sure that they have for whatever happened before those last few years, you want them to be happy. You want them to be, you know, I want them to feel for some of them love for the first time ever, you know, like they've never had somebody that's actually cared about them and listened to them. And those are the days when I go home and I'm like, yes. I feel, I like what I do. I feel good about what I do. And then you have other days where somebody says, you know, F you, you guys are a bunch of whatever. And I think, <laughs> you know what? Why do I do this? But um, more well, what, days than not.
4: What is the situa- situation surrounding, or I don't know if you have rules or whatever, but like, once these guys are out, out, mm-hmm. do you or can you keep in touch if we, they're not volunteering and working? For yes. You?
2: We encourage them to um, we, we, we don't expect them to, I mean, some people, once they leave, they want to put that behind them. They are done. Um, but a lot of folks will reach out and say, Oh, I just want to let you know, you know, I got married or I, I got this great job or, you know, I just wanted to say thank you or I have moved someplace else or we've had guys that, you know, the ones that I really like are when they're from another community and we offer to take them. I'm not going to Windsor. Windsor, what the hell? I don't, I'm going to Windsor. <laughs> and then they come, and within a week, I love it here. I want to mm-hmm. stay here. You guys are so cool. You guys are so great. You've helped me so much, blah, blah, blah. And of course, I'm tuning our own horn because I think that's fast. But um, that makes me feel good when you can have somebody from a different community who is absolute. We've had guys that had to be escorted to Windsor. Literally kicking and screaming, getting out of the car because they didn't want to come to Windsor. They're from Toronto or they're from, you know, someplace else. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to Windsor. And then they end up deciding that once they're off paper, they've got an apartment in Windsor. They've got a good job in Windsor. They've got a girlfriend in Windsor. They're staying.
1: Yeah, they have a life. They
2: had, and they've had family move to Windsor to be with them and they've started hmm. over.
4: I'm well, so proud of that. You, I mean, I would imagine oftentimes you're talking about a population of people who when you really boil it all down have found for the first time in their entire lives, purpose, purpose is what it's all about. So the girlfriend, the job, the money, I mean, that can be found anywhere, but the second that they came to you and they found a purpose in getting out of jail, that's, it's easy to want to stay in that place, that, that area. Yeah.
1: Mm. With the, with uh, the families, do you have any contact with them when people are residing in the house? Yes, we
2: actually have a, um, Our caseworker, Jen, and we have a chaplain um, that works with us as well. So any of the guys that want any kind of spiritual um, counseling, they can reach out to him. They have uh, formed a support group for spouses and mothers of offenders. Um, They're the forgotten victims. Nobody ever thinks about the poor families, right? They think of the victims and the victims' families, understandably. But the families of the offender are also victims because they've lost their son. A lot of times, whatever negativity the public has is directed at the family because they can't get to the offender. So mm-hmm. well, what the hell did the mother do to create that? Mm-hmm. You know, must be the mother's fault, must be the father's fault. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, pressure on that family and a lot of, you know, negativity. They, they are completely dragged through the, the legal system. We all know how victims are treated by the legal system. Well, they're completely forgotten by the legal system.
5: Yep. Yep. So
2: we've got, you know, on average, 20 or so women that meet every other week um, to get together and to talk about, you know, how hard it is to have a loved one incarcerated and to, you know, how their lives have fallen apart and how they have to rebuild. Um, So we do reach out to um, a lot of the families, a lot of the families will call. Um, Obviously, we can't, you know, tell them about specifically what we're doing in the house with them. and We have to, you know, maintain confidentiality. But providing support for the family and the girlfriends, the wives is it's a big part of it as well.
1: And in your experiences, do you notice that, uh, reestablishing or even establishing in some senses, the, the sense of family with a person who was at a jail, they were a lifer or whatever. Does that help a lot to get them back on the right track?
2: It does. Uh, especially if there's children involved, mm. the the really hard cases are when, um, having the children aren't enough. I, I sometimes struggle with that. Like, you can't give up the drugs and you've got, you know, a three and a four year old that you've never met because they were infants when you went in Mm -hmm. that stuff I struggle with. But again, I I can't judge because I'm not in that situation. I've never dealt with an addiction issue, but that, if anything shows you how strong it can be. Mm -hmm. Um, But for the most part, I mean, we try to encourage, you know, family, if it's positive, we have a lot of situations where we help, the men remove themselves from family because it's so toxic and it's not, Jeez. it's not a good thing. So we help them almost, you know, mourn in the loss of, of those connections by helping them move past them.
1: You ever get anyone trying to run across the border? <sighs> Has that ever happened? And a little out of left field question just popped in my head. <laughs> See, <laughs> and you even laugh because in my head, I was yeah. like, there's, there's some humor to that as bad as oh, it yeah. is. You have had that? Yeah. So then what, Customs gives you a shout and says, hey, we got one of yours um, here?
2: We've never had one of our <laughs> guys okay to the border, to my knowledge. Um, but we've had people that have gone through the house that have, you know, we always, whenever there's a story in the, you know, the paper about, yep. you know, some crime, we always, we're always checking right. you know, them, hey, <laughs> check <laughs> out who it is on page <laughs> one. <room." laughs> <Great>. uh, <laughs> we finally got them, you know? Um, but no, I mean, you you hear you hear different stories about
1: uh do you guys work with other uh like or at least communicate with other halfway houses Definitely. across the country yes. yeah
3: yeah
1: yeah because i noticed when i was looking up saint leonard's it's the i see stuff in surrey bc and in yes. different places so i wasn't and sure how how they how far the far this spreads we yeah
2: we're the first um we are all independently owned and operated
5: mm-hmm. um
2: but a little known fact for you guys a little trivia pursuit question um the patron saint <laughs> of prisoners was St. Leonard. So that's oh. where the whole St. Leonard thing came from. So there's, there's tons of St. Leonard's across, um, Canada and, uh, you know, we, we, it, it helps to have that network. So I can call up different ones of, like, okay, we're having a problem with this. What are you guys doing at your house? Or we've even had it where, um, Another house, say, you know, in London, they have a wait list. You know, we've accepted so-and-so. He really deserves to be out, but we're full. Can you take him until we have a bed available? Sure, yeah, we'll do that. So we've even transferred people back and forth if we have to. So
4: So, I've got a question. I mean, we've all said halfway house about 100 times so far. (laughs) Um, And at least in my American lexicon, it's very common for the term halfway house to mean a lot of different things, but oftentimes that's like children that are in the system, domestic abuse, survivors, okay. minors that maybe can't go to prison, but don't have somewhere else to be, yeah. um, you know, homeless people. So is that, what is that there? Like we it's, call a lot of things a halfway house. Yeah, thing.
2: it is like a, it's a transitional facility. So it's um, you're locked down from 11 o'clock at night till six in the morning. So during the day you can go out and work and, you know, do what you need to do, but At night, the doors are literally locked. Um, You have to sign in, you know, so many times throughout the day. You have to call every four hours. Every time you change location, you have to let us know. So it's basically, um, it's a way to continue that supervision. Um, It's, you know, you're continuing the, the prison sentence into the community, and part of it is supervised. So it's just sort of that gradual release. It's an extension of prison, but with a lot less restrictions.
3: And you were saying when you get out, when people get off paperwork, they stay in Windsor too. Um, from what I understood, also Dirk was saying that a lot of people stay on parole for life.
2: Yeah. With lifers, yes, you are forever on parole. Um, life sentences in Canada are not life inside. You serve a period of time inside, but then you continue your sentence, your life That's sentence in the community.
4: Me, by the way, that is yeah. wild. Yeah.
1: Why are you gonna, gonna elaborate on this, Amy? Or is this just <laughs> no? Because
4: <laughs> I would say well, it was the same thing I said to Dirk is that, like, in America, for the most part, a life sentence is a life sentence, and like the rest of that sentence coming out of the mouth is oftentimes without possibility of parole, like, you will die in prison. is what a life sentence oftentimes means here so I couldn't Catherine get over when when Dirk was like oh yeah I had a life sentence or whoever and like after five years I was like wait a minute (laughs) forever and he was like oh we don't do that in Canada
2: and I know a lot of you know critics are really you know angry that we don't have you know life you take a life you serve a life I'm proud of the fact that Canada is more um, liberal in the sense that they Mm -hmm. do believe in rehabilitation and that people can change and that mistakes are made. I would much, people always say, well, yeah, what if somebody did something to, you know, your, one of your parents or your spouse or a friend. And yes, my first thought is revenge. I, Mm -hmm. you know, want to kill them. But then when I stop and I think about it, I'm like, no, you know what? I would much rather have that person have to sit and think about it for a while in prison, Mm -hmm. but I also want something positive to come out of it. I want that person to heal. I want them to become a functioning Mm -hmm. member of society. I want them to contribute and to give back. Um, I believe in restorative justice. That's sort of a, a, a buzzword that's been around for a little bit now, but you know, where the offender and the victim can try to, heal that relationship, repair that relationship. and it's it can be a very powerful thing and we've had we've had victims on our board. we've had um, guys in the house that have gone through that process where they actually meet with their victim and they have that conversation where the victim can then understand, okay, I didn't realize that this was going on in your life or that you had you know this life story and the offender learns about their victim. Um, or the victim's family, and it's it really is an opportunity to heal. It's an opportunity for to people to see each other as people, and not that person that did that thing. It it gives power back to the victim to be able to give their story directly to the offender instead of to the lawyer, to the judge, to the jury. Mm-hmm. The legal system takes power away from victims. This is a way to restore it and to allow them to tell their story directly to the offender and for the offender to you know apologize to that individual right there in real time and let them know like this is what this is my story and this is how I got to this point
1: have you uh, looked into the way things like someone in your position or St. Leonard's type place in the United States or even know someone that works at a place there and spoke to them over the years to like know the difference between Canada and the U.S. sure sure we, we're often and,
2: uh, um invited to different you know conferences and seminars in the states because there's a lot of justice organizations Mm -hmm. that are advocating for these more um you know humane approaches and to focus more on healing and therapy and and trauma focused and you know okay looking at ways to to not want to say fix people but to try to you know change the direction and just throwing people away it, it's mind-blowing how much money is wasted mm-hmm. on it and it's it's just it's so negative and it doesn't solve anything just locking people up and especially when people <laughs> go in at you know 14 16 years of age come on like yeah what, what the hell do you expect you know and then they're gonna <laughs> what a waste you know that life to be just completely
1: wasted yeah so in your opinion you would say that we are much further ahead oh, yeah. than the states would be yeah yes, yes. i mean Canada like just it just
2: got issues but we are
3: <laughs> way, way, ahead. way ahead. what about uh, in your personal experience uh, how long do you remember what what was the longest term somebody has served and then came out and tried to rebuild his life and start over again what was the longest or what was the amount of years
2: we had one individual stay five years with us? No, no, no. Um, I'm saying, I'm saying, in, well,
3: inside. In, inside, yeah. Like, like, um, before they came to you.
2: We have one gentleman now who's in his thirty-something year.
1: Oh my god!
2: Um, still trying to get out. We, we we've had quite a few people serve in excess of twenty years. Can
1: you say what he was charged with, or murder. no? Would you rather not? Murder? No, murder, Just murder, okay. Murder no,
2: but, of, of his wife. A domestic murder. situation. So and this that- is.
1: 30 there's,
3: something fucking years oh my god there's no there's no lenience there because back home I'm, I'm i'm from east ukraine i'm russian pretty much um i know back home you could be in a uh, temporary shock i think it's called or whatever yeah. it is when let's say you came home and your wife is cheating yeah. And you, you murdered yeah. them both. And then you, a lot of people say they don't even remember doing it. There's no leniency like that. How is he doing 30 years for domestic the, murder? And, and
2: this is why I tell people, you think, you know, he would have gotten, I'm trying to, think, I think he got life 25. Yeah. So he was convicted of first degree murder. The reason he's still in is because we <clears throat> have a certain, again, I'm bit like biting the hand that feeds me. Um, <laughs> in corrections, him. there's a lot of discretion. By their parole officer inside they don't like you buckle up
5: oh wow um, if
2: you some of them have this arbitrary sense in their head that well you're serving a life sentence you need to do two years at maximum uh so many years in medium Then we'll try minimum, but you got to complete this program and this program and this program. And, oh, wait, you've got a bit of an attitude. You're challenging me. You're not following your correctional plan. I don't think that you're actually motivated to get out, so I'm not going to apply for parole for you. Oh, my God. That sounds
3: sounds like a power trip. (laughs) Exactly what it is.
2: We have seen so many men who are past their eligibility dates. (laughs) To me, the first thing I always advocate for, eligibility dates should be automatic you are eligible for parole, you go in front of the parole board and you present your case and they can say no, and they can turn you down and you go back and you continue to work in another year, you go up. When there's that much discretion by Mm -hmm. an individual parole officer inside, it can, I mean, I see it where guys get out way early, because they've managed to get a really positive parole officer who believes in You know, getting guys out at their first eligibility so they can, you know, get back on track or whatever we have other ones and Uh, the old school kind of guys who challenge everything and bring uh, up, you know, um, in my file there's such and such is wrong, it it isn't actually this it's this but you're challenging me, you know, the littlest thing like that if you get involved with politics inside, if you want to start an inmate committee or a group. Um, you're going to be seen as a shit disturber and it's gonna it's gonna hurt you Mm -hmm. the guys that have been held in longer are seen as shit disturbers and they're not going to get the
1: opportunity to get out well they're screwed there's no way out
2: some of them are
1: jesus christ some of them are
2: as i said i have we have a 90 year old man on a friggin oxygen tank who has been denied parole several times because he has a poor attitude
1: what the fuck he's 90 he's supposed to have a poor attitude he's supposed to be he, mad at everything
2: the entire basis of deciding on whether or not somebody should get parole is risk what is their level of risk what is their chances of recid- of doing it again a 90 year old man on an oxygen tank ain't gonna do shit no in already he's been in he got first degree murder he's been in for 30 years
3: 37 years oh my God. jesus i didn't even think sentences like that exist in canada i mean i didn't think anybody do, does that long. yeah yeah, yeah. I know in, then, sta- in states they like to give out military sentences like 100, <laughs> a 175 members. years here you go
2: <laughs> and then when when covid came in and the pandemic and all that we were really pushing to get the older guys out like come on they can't yeah. be in there they're at higher risk it's a yeah. captive population
3: do you they know how Do you know how is it being treated in jail? Are they all being locked away in cells? or?
2: Yeah. Um, We weren't allowed to go into the institution, so we were relying on phone calls. Our in-reach worker couldn't even go in, so we opened up his um, cell phone so guys could still at least get phone support. And they were calling up and complaining that, you know, we get a shower once or twice a week. Um, We're down to two meals a day. We have to eat in our cell, not getting outdoor time. Um, if somebody on their range tested positive, they just locked the whole range down instead of taking that person out and isolating oh them somewhere. Um,
3: That's mentally breaking you. The, yep. It, is. it That's is. is. The other issue piece is, by piece.
2: especially these light because of COVID, they sh- shut all programs down. No programs. Your day parole eligibility depends on you completing those programs. Mm-hmm. So people were being held back lifers weren't they are not doing utas they weren't allowing people to go into the community and then come back to the institution so we have guys that were ready to come out serving a life sentence who have now been delayed two to three years because they have still have to do those utas it's it's
4: it's been bad wow
5: what, what- changed
4: what changed for you like in inside your facility with all of covid like were there restrictions on coming yeah. and going and all that it
2: was really hard it was um because you have you know these folks that are <laughs> they can't wait to come out and then right. they come out and we're telling right. them okay you can't sign out um you know we've we have to wear masks obviously obviously inside we're cleaning everything everywhere um does everybody have
3: to be vaxed?
2: we do now we require it yes
5: yeah.
2: um and then uh, when the province was locked down, we were locked down. So the guy, we were allowing them, you know, half an hour in the morning to go get smokes um, or you know exercise, but that was mm-hmm. it. They couldn't see their families. They couldn't. Damn. A lot of them weren't working because the jobs, you know, weren't working. So we literally had a house of you know twenty five guys sitting around. Right. So we opened up the Wi Fi. Let's get Netflix. You know?
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, a, that sounds a like a rehab.
2: They were miserable, and we tried to I explain bet. to them. We're not seeing our families either. Like, you right. know, we're not. We're not doing. None of us are allowed to do that. But they, they felt it was a punishment. You know, against it them. was we for the whole did.
4: freaking world. We all did.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Is there uh, any sort of like monitoring on what um, people living in the house are allowed to watch? Uh, like you just mentioned, Netflix. Uh,
2: yeah, no, um, it's completely open. Uh, we do have some folks in the house that might have. Um, like a telecommunication restriction but usually that's you can't have more than one cell phone we don't have anybody
4: with like a
5: you know no no more condition or
4: something uh, you you can't have more than one cell phone yes you can have one but you can't have two but is the Uh, uh, fine is the one monitored like what's the purpose I mean I get the purpose but like is the one monitored
2: uh, it's not monitored but they figure if you have more than one then you're dealing
1: Sure. Well, yeah. Of course.
4: If you're opening up the Wi-Fi, you could be dealing with no phone, and yeah.
1: for
5: the
3: longest time, that's get a different we, one every month.
5: For
4: the longest time,
2: we did not want to open the Wi-Fi because then we couldn't control. Yeah. You know, because yeah. we had some guys anybody who is a convicted sex offender technically oh, yeah. is not allowed to have certain internet. social media programs or right. internet.
3: Yeah.
2: Right.
3: Mm-hmm. So. How does? Uh, Sorry, go ahead, go but ahead you so go, I, was I was just
2: going to say, so we had to really grapple with um, you know we're going to open it. It's your condition, it's your responsibility to make sure you're not breaking your condition. I have a program on my computer where I can see when somebody's on the house computer, I can see what's what's being watched, yeah. but mm. on their personal devices, no that's up to the pro pro officer can come and look through their phone. yeah I don't care what they're looking at.
3: Mm holy shit I... um you you've mentioned uh, you mentioned sexual sexual offenders did, did did you say you have them there or you don't
2: we do uh we cannot take... how does
3: sorry so that, that, this takes me to the next question sorry my bad if uh, that obviously charges come out sooner or later between the community right yes. how does how does that go along the house inside does that did do they tend to gang up on somebody who's yeah. been a sexual offender? Yeah, Yes,
2: that's like the ultimate. You, you know, yeah. um, now we have a school directly next door to our halfway house. So we cannot take child sex offenders because of the restrictions yeah. that they have. But we do take people with adult offenses. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, i I again, I don't like the crime. Obviously, I don't condone it. But what I say to the other guys in the house that have an issue with it, They have done everything that they needed to do to get to the same point. They don't care what you did. It's none of your business. What they did. Mm -hmm. You don't like it. That's fine. Don't engage. Don't talk to the person. Like I, I really struggle with the bullying and the picking and it never fails. But one of the biggest, you know, we had a situation not that long ago where somebody was spreading crap about one of our residents and He himself had a way more horrific crime and was a sex offender himself. And he's (laughs) spreading shit about the other (laughs) sex offenders in the house. Projecting,
3: a little projecting going on.
2: Yeah. So what I said, when one of the guys came down and said, you know, well, I hear so-and-so's this. I thought you guys didn't let them in here. I'm like, and who told you that? Well, so-and-so told me that. Just so you know, you might want to, you know, you don't know what everybody in here is for.
5: Mm-hmm. so when
2: so-and-so is you know talking about somebody else you might want to just stop and think Hmm, i wonder what he's in for you know like you're all here to do your own time and to get on with your life it's none of your business Whatever. everybody's earned the right to be here mm-hmm. everybody's done their time so mind your business
3: yeah it's true it's just that the, <clears throat> the reason i ask that is because you deal with people who's done a lot of hard time right and the, on the inside yep. it's, it, it would be hard to kind of get it out of your head right yeah. There's
2: not a week that goes by that we don't say, but you're not inside now, are you? Because people still refer to their, you know, my house, my celly. My Sally, yeah, yeah, uh, No, no, you're not inside wow, anymore. Eh? You got to let that stuff go. I, I, I get it, but you got to let it go.
1: I didn't even thought about that. Like, yeah, you have to change their their, their mentality, their way of life after yeah. serving so much time. But even the vo- vocabulary has to change. Yes. Imagine a decade
3: on the inside man ptsd staff,
2: staff have to watch too because sometimes we'll say something that doesn't mean anything out here but it means something entirely it means something to them to
3: yep does when it yep. comes to that do you have some sort of security on stuff no. or do you you sort of handle it yourself no security
2: well no no we don't we, don't, guys we are don't gangsters we don't need <laughs> that was security, <laughs> There's no panic- 300
3: pound guy sitting in the corner.
2: No. No. Wow. <laughs> we, we wear panic buttons. Okay. So if something goes down. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You mentioned that. So yeah.
2: Affected.
1: No security.
2: Our, no. Our staff are trained in mental health.
3: jujitsu, <laughs> Kickboxing. kickboxing.
2: <laughs> crisis intervention. Nonviolent crisis intervention. Crazy. How to build rapport, how to prevent, how to diffuse a situation before it even gets to that point. The balls of steel. It yeah. It <laughs> at day one. If you treat people with respect, mm-hmm. they're going to treat you with respect. And it doesn't get to that point.
1: There's still a certain level of bravery, though, yeah. for you and other people that work in there. Yes. There is. I don't know if you guys realize that or not, but there definitely is. There's yeah. not a lot of people that go in with no security. They have a panic button, and that's it being around people yep. who have committed the crimes. 25 like people. You have yeah. a
3: quarter century of time in that house. Yeah, man. Just,
5: um,
2: and, and a, <laughs> Crazy. A lot of halfway houses do have security at night. They They hire a security guard to do their night shift, or they do mm-hmm. have security on staff. We've just
1: chosen
4: not to do it that way. I mean to be fair, if you're the type of person to be that concerned about that, you're not going you to be the be person working, working at, That's the, true. at the halfway house. So
1: yeah.
3: That's yeah, crazy. But still, right. You're if you're a police officer, you don't wear a vest expecting to get shot at. That's ah, a good point. <laughs> uh, right. It's, it, there's two sides. No, but I understand because from what it seems like you have like a sort of a family environment going on there. Right. Yeah. So people actually enjoy staying there. You enjoy working with them. Yeah. So it's uh, like I've had my fair share of addiction problems and I've been to different rehabs. And the last one actually worked the best. Like I still stay off my drug of choice and, and don't, don't drink for a while now. And uh, and I've been to places where people didn't really care. They were just doing whatever yeah. the book said. And you know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like I said, I went to Westover last and it, it yep. felt like I was, I was a part of a family. It was, you know what I mean? Good was, program. Yeah. That should, that's, I'm still sober. Yeah, you know, it's worked well. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, off, I'm off my drugs of choice anyways. I smoke, yeah, he's I smoke sweet, weed. But... I'm not going to lie, but. Okay
2: whatever works right yeah that's what i'm saying
3: (laughs) i'm I'm california sober thank you california sober
4: (laughs) so what what happens especially if people are coming back to maybe where they came from you're a lifelong you know resident of that area like what happens when you see somebody come in the door that you know them
1: oh what do you
2: what do you mean
4: like uh somebody who's not from the system. Like went to like high school, you mean? Your, your neighbor, your oh, mom's yeah. friend. You're, yeah. you know, like, you're from that area. Yes. So what happened? Has that happened? Yes, it has.
2: Um, wow. In my previous job working with homelessness, obviously there's a lot of folks that you know I remembered. Sure. Um, I used to do drug and alcohol testing for Children's Aid Society. A lot of those folks are the same. So when folks come in, I don't say anything. If they recognize me and they want to have a conversation about it, we will. um, But we start fresh, no judgment, you know, that that's that's in the past. Um, We have situations maybe where, um, like with our caseworkers, if somebody knows somebody personally, the other person's going to be their caseworker. Like, obviously, you know, we we try to, you know, maintain boundaries so that, you know, the person's comfortable as well.
4: I mean, so caseworkers, ex-husband, is there after getting released from a domestic does he get to come there or does he not ever end up there no 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 there's
2: obviously certain situations where if it's that close to home we would not accept that person
4: sure i mean have you had um in your personal experience like aside from people you've known from previous work have you had somebody personally in your life never no are you surprised by that
2: no my my family's pretty boring (laughs)
5: Well, I mean, but I
4: mean a, a teacher or a neighbor a friend no. your kid
2: you know what i mean like uh, well, you don't know no, people- I, I, sh- I shouldn't say that we did have um like friends brother i had a friend's brother from high school kind of thing like oh my god i remember that guy you know um but they not didn't end up coming to the house but if if he had i would have just acted like i didn't know him right it, n- never anybody so close to me that i i wouldn't have been able to maintain you know
4: so in that instance I mean being that you are I'm you've described it pretty thoroughly as you all do what you need to do and I'm sure yeah. that's by choice but also by you know lack of funding et cetera, et et cetera. um in your particular case you can't just turn around anytime something feels funny to you or you see somebody you know and go oh I can't be part of this I'm stepping out like you're the ED so like what happens to you if you really did have a situation where you can't tell everybody that you might know, or you ran into in the past, they can't come there. Like, what do you no,
2: do? No. And, and again, like we might have, um, you know, maybe somebody we went to high school with um, we've had it where it was like somebody's son was friends with this person again, that it's distant enough that um, it, it, you know, it, it was okay. We were still able to manage, you know, to, to manage that situation. Obviously if somebody's son or somebody's expose um, we wouldn't, we wouldn't take that person because it's just a conflict of interest, right? It's, we couldn't handle it. They they would go to a different halfway house.
4: So obviously like we're sitting here talking to you because we talked to Dirk and it was, you know, great talking to him and he had great things to say about you. In your personal life, do you have people that are like, tell me a crazy story. What happened at work? Like, do you get that a lot? Yeah, Yeah, sure. And and, and they know.
2: Go on. (laughs) They know that I can't obviously give specifics, but I'm also proud of what we do. And I love talking about what I get to do on a daily basis. So, you know, I, I never, um, shy away from it but at the same time obviously I you know I have to be careful with what I say and I, I would never want to give out details that would identify something yeah oh people always want to hear like oh my god you have like the coolest job or oh my god you have such a crazy job like have <laughs> you ever had I mean, this and what about this you know? right
4: well I mean yeah. it's it's fascinating really I mean my I have a family member whose son was what a warden at a prison that Charles yeah. Manson was out, right? And so- so, Yeah, to
5: me, I'm like, oh my God. Right, right. It's such
4: a high profile case, right? That like, there is no privacy. There is no expectation of privacy. Yeah. Um, But that also leads me, I'm curious, you know, in your case, I would think, and I guess this is my question, that a lot of the privacy type issues are more internal guidelines Mm -hmm. and regulations. I mean, it's not a healthcare facility. It's not a lawyer client privilege, privilege, it's not jail. So like, is that all internal? regulation or?
2: Yes. Like, obviously I I can't speak about, you know, anybody, I I never give out names. I never talk about specific, you know, treatment plans. We certainly don't divulge, you know, previous convictions and and what happened during a crime. All of us are are cleared. Um, We all have security clearances to be able to even have access to that information. Mm. Um, And again, like the staff that I get to work with on a daily basis, we have each other to talk about that stuff with. So when something goes down and we can't believe what just happened, that's when we all get together and be like, oh my God, like I can't believe this. Or oh my remember (laughs) so and so or what about this? Like we get to do that with each other. So I don't have the need to to do that with friends and family.
4: I'm coming to your cookout. (laughs)
5: <laughs>
2: i mean do, do you
4: have uh, and again like as evidenced earlier by my being like who the hell are you guys talking like i had never i've never heard of dirk like i don't know what the hell you guys are talking about right so <clears throat> have you had yourself in the position of a high enough profile case that just was in the media that people whether you want to talk about it or not know that so and so is in your facility yeah and there's never like a media circus surrounding that no
2: no, we keep a very low profile.
5: Hmm.
2: Um, and and fortunately the, the local media here, they if somebody's you know takes off from the halfway house, they'll usually just say, you know, somebody went, you know, UAL. They they never mention the halfway house. A lot of people don't even know we exist. Um, we've had again, like our neighbors a school, like how cool is that? We have a great school right next to <laughs> us. Also, people killed somebody, right? <laughs> we, we are a very That's good really neighbor. Scary. We are a very good neighbor. We're a very good community partner.
4: Is the media just overall different with that kind of, I mean, I don't I would have no way of knowing, but I mean, is it sensationalized when you have a serial killer? Is it as like frenetic as it is down here?
2: We well, for us, we don't typically take high profile cases. We're very careful with you know, who we choose to have. I mean, the media like, but in the media with in Canada, I mean we don't normally see when we have a case like that a serial killer or like that that bruce mcarthur or whatever that oh yeah, was a yeah guy in yeah. toronto that you know killed all these people we had a guy in our house that was his cellmate and we're like asking what's he
5: like
2: but but somebody like that would never you know be coming to our house
3: you think it's because you don't want the protests going on around it or
2: um One, well, it depends, again, on the crime. We do take high-profile cases. Mm -hmm. um, But we say, you know, there was a case, what, 14 years ago, I think, of a police officer that was murdered in Windsor.
5: Mm -hmm. That
2: individual knows you're not coming home. You need to probably focus on another community Mm -hmm. because the hassle that he would go through, the media craze, I mean... It's not so much that I would be worried about what we would have to go through because I I would just direct them to call Corrections Canada. I don't you know entertain the media. I don't give them information on who's in our house. Um, but for a high-profile local case, usually right off the bat, we tell them we should probably start looking for another community. Yeah,
3: I thought it was a thing after committing or the, an organized or after. Collecting collect, collect a group like an organization, or after committing a serious crime, after you do the time, you are not allowed to come back to that uh, place. Or is that not true?
2: No, uh, now some communities, like uh, um, the police, can say that you know they're not; they don't want so and so to come back.
4: Um, so you're like banished from the town you were in.
2: Can kinda.
3: I've I've seen a thing where Buddy was uh, banned from the city of Guelph.
2: different parole offices like we we have had individuals where it wasn't high profile in our area but it was in their hometown and the local parole office refuses to supervise them so essentially they they can't go back there because they're not willing to to supervise them
4: that's some shakespeare shit right there (laughs) (laughs) vanished yeah
1: do you agree with that catherine that they should have the parole office should have that option no not so
3: much
2: um it's their home community. Like, I I mean, everybody, you know, and I don't, I wouldn't
3: that mean that it's easier to jump right back into it.
2: We have, we have dealers all the time coming back and jumping right back into (laughs) it. (laughs) That's
3: another, that's another thing I was going to ask how many people, fake it to a point where they make it to you guys where he's allowed outside and this and that and start doing right the same we thing. Don't,
2: we've had people last less than 24 hours in our house Man. before they were pulled. I mean, oh, holy shit. And, and I'm sorry. Like I, I tell these guys all the time, you're not slick. You think you are, but I mean, there's a reason why you're in the halfway house. Okay. You got caught. You're not as smart as you think you
3: are. And then you having such an experience of having gone through so many people and and tried so many times, right?
2: Half the time they sign out. To go someplace right, and you see him turn left. Well, that wasn't too great. Now it wasn't. You already know you're going someplace you're not supposed to. You might just happen to have to go for coffee right now and go left to see what you're up to. Okay,
4: I'm I'm kind of kidding, and I'm also definitely not kidding. Um, Do you have kids, Catherine? I do.
2: I have one daughter.
4: Do you or do you not experience daily parallels? Um, I did
2: not want children for. A long time because of the work that i did
5: Mm
2: -hmm. um i so i i do i have i consider myself having two children at home i'm married and i have a (laughs) five-year-old so i have two children at home and i got 25
4: (laughs) that's what i'm saying like you have to to work right like you have to go home sometimes and be like do you know that i just saw you oh jesus
5: (laughs) i just did this all
2: day
4: on a a daily basis (laughs) it
2: is don't feed the dog pick up (laughs) after yourself, flush the damn toilet. Like, I mean, it it is, it's ridiculous (laughs) stuff that we, you know, and I'm glad that those are our biggest, like we always joke that the house meeting is the same issues. Pick up after yourself, do your chore. You know, I'm glad those are the issues that are coming up at a house meeting and not, Oh, well we found three weapons and some of them were just on fentanyl. Yeah. Take it with a grain of salt, but yes, it's That's funny. You know, a lot of parallels.
1: How how do you like? See, I can finish work, come home, and watch Law and Order to decompress. What the hell do you do? What do you right. do to take yourself away from work completely?
2: Um, music is huge. Oh yeah, so,
1: yeah. Playing music or listening?
2: Listening. I, Listen. I, I love music. I love huh. watching music stuff on TV. Um, but I, but I still love the crime documentaries, the law shows, like I'm still right into that stuff. I back at
3: it. go home and go back at it.
2: I don't yeah. <laughs> feel the need to detach from it because I enjoy what I do. I'm one of those very fortunate people that gets to wake up every day and, and do what they want to do every day. So it's
3: how long are your weeks? 60, 80 hours?
2: No, no. We are no? very big on making sure like you got to have that work life balance. We do a, you know, 40 hour work week. Um, You know, after hours, when you're home, you're home. Mind you, I'm the folks that I work with. We're still, you know, chatting on social media after hours. Like, oh my god, did you see? Did you hear what so and so said today? (laughs) And that's our own problem for not detaching. But, um, (laughs) but we do really try to make sure that you know we're not going to overwork you. You're already underpaid, so we're Mm going to make sure that the extra perks are there. Like we're really good with benefits. We're really good with time off. We're really good with being flexible. Like, you know, you have a dentist appointment at two o'clock. I don't care. Go, you come in late. I don't care. As long as the work gets done, you know, Mm. we, I don't, we're not that type of agent.
1: That's probably why it works so well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I know, I know we talked about the the money thing would be a great help, but what are some of the other things that, you know, if St. Leonard's could see, they could do 10 times more than they can now. Yeah. Or is it just the money, basically?
2: Money would solve all problems because yeah. the types of programs and things that I would like to offer, you need money to do it. I just right. wish that we could provide more, you know, for our guys. If we could have somebody on staff that that just does housing, find, helping guys find apartments. We have so many guys who have never signed a lease before. They don't know the questions to ask. They don't know what, you know, what information to, to give out or to not give out. I'd love to have somebody who who could work, you know, specifically with those really difficult mental health issues. I wish we could have, you know, like a, a rec person that just does, you know, activities and stuff
4: like that. But you know, we don't. It all have... comes
1: it all comes back to money, right? I
4: mean, could you could you open those up for volunteer positions?
2: Yes and no. Um, the the types of volunteers that you get. They're, a lot of times they're younger people that don't have, you know, necessarily the experience yet, and there's, you know, a huge liability there that we mm-hmm. have to be aware of. Um, in terms of recreational, yes, you yeah. know, we have our volunteers that take them to, you know, hockey games or you know, play cards, that kind of. We arrange all those types of activities, but uh, in terms of serious programming, you know, you got to hire that stuff.
1: How does so somebody we- uh, volunteer? Like what? What? Well, obviously, I would assume no criminal record.
2: No, that's, that's enough. I consider really? people with a criminal record that's lived experience.
5: I, I would shit. never
2: turn somebody away. It would depend, obviously, on on the on the crime. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, no, we anybody anybody can volunteer. So, what they
1: just reach up through the website, or yeah, that's yeah. the best way to go about it or yeah, to call um, the house or whatever.
2: Yeah, Jennifer Graham is our volunteer coordinator. We get a lot of students. Obviously, they want to you know build their resume. We have everything from you know you can answer phones, you can help with fundraising, you can just come and hang out with the guys and and you know do that socialization with them. Mm. Um, anything you can come and come and clean if you want. <laughs> She's like,
3: please What's, come uh, and
4: clean. Wash the dog.
3: Are we gonna say krill? Sorry, I keep twitching. Got a bad back. Um, I was just, <laughs> I was just gonna ask you. Um, was there um at least a few or a couple of people that. Um, went through hell, went through your program, got back on their feet, or maybe opened a business, and was able to donate back to you, to yes. the house.
2: Mm. Yes. We, we, well, <laughs> we had one guy inside want to give us a, a very generous donation because we had been so supportive of him. Um, <laughs> we had to decline that. I would think so. <laughs> it would be seen as, you know, a conflict. Yeah. Um But, you know, it's really funny because, like, Two weeks later, we got this anonymous donation. It was like really weird, Um, (laughs) but no, we have we and we have a lot of nice. Windsor is a very generous community, and we have a lot of um, people that that do recognize that the work that we do is important, and that you know everybody wants to give to the food bank, everybody wants to give children's charities and cancer, and and those are all very worthy causes. Nobody wants to donate, you know
1: to the murderers to, yeah right? exactly. that's the way they look at it these so, people deserve to be there and everything else right they don't want to open their pocketbook for no, that
2: we don't do a lot of, of fundraising but when we need something like if somebody is moving out so-and-so needs a couch we'll have one you know in, in two days or so-and-so and so needs it so we have a lot of guys show up literally with the clothes on their back we put a call out we get you know tons of
3: clothes so does does this thing does this stigma catch up every once in a while and does the house get eggs thrown at it or no. like uh no, nothing like that people don't attack it at all good
2: no um we did have one time we did have a, a, a high profile sex offender in the house and somebody had posted you know like a poster on a sign just down but that's the that, house. that's
3: a particular individual but it, i mean there, there, it. there's no hate to an actual place right nothing like that that's because good.
2: we're there to help people right we're mm. we're there to try to, to to you know make something positive out of something negative
1: mm. So you've been so good answering all of our questions out of curiosity. Uh, Is there anything that you would like to get out there? Any sort of message, anything you'd like to speak on, anything you'd like to bring awareness to before we start wrapping up and let you get out of here?
2: Basically um, just in general for the public to understand that there is so much more to these folks than people are more than their actions. People are more, I always say how Think of the absolute worst thing that you've ever done in your life. Now, going forward, you're going to be judged on that one act for the rest of your life. How would that feel? That'd be pretty shitty.
1: Very shitty. If
2: one person who maybe made one really stupid mistake, and they're going to be defined by that for the rest of their life, How how, how bad, how poor is that for the community? Because we're missing out. Because we have some guys in the house that are absolutely amazing individuals with so much potential. Mm-hmm. you know Dirk for example you met him he has so many gifts to offer yep. if he was stuck inside for the rest of his life we would be missing out on that he's been able to come out now he's giving back to the community he's helping other folks in the community yep. get their lives back on track and we wouldn't have had that if we had you know life is life
3: I think a lot of it has to do with giving uh the family some sort of closure right yeah making making the making the uh yeah. Making them do time. Mm
2: -hmm. I I just, I I encourage people to, again, you know, realize that there's more to stories. The media is going to go with the big headlines and try to, you know, report the most salacious details. Usually it's not what really happened. Um, Give folks a chance. And if you don't want to give them a chance, mind your business, get on Mm -hmm. with it. Don't, Don't be so negative and try to bring everybody down and criticize what agencies are trying to do to make the world a better place you know that's it, a thing
3: nowadays everybody wants to tell everybody what to do
4: so wait before you do go catherine Miss, yes. i like crime i don't like crime what is your what do you find what is your like number one documentary or fascinating case that you're just like i will always talk about this if somebody brings it up mm-hmm.
1: What do you mean, entertainment wise, Amy?
4: Yeah, yeah. Like for me, like it, as it applies to the fact that I keep mentioning how not Canadian I am, I didn't even, I had never even heard of, you talk about Netflix, don't fuck with cats until <laughs> Jason. <laughs> right. And so I, I was, <laughs> right, so I was watching it. And in, in addition to the fact that a little, during that time I lived in Northern Indiana, like my proximity to Canadian news and things was much stronger than it is now where I live. But that was a global fucking Mm -hmm. manhunt and I had never Mm -hmm. even heard of it so for like a year after I watched that I was like Jason what did you do to me like I google this shit every day (laughs) I can't believe I never heard of it like what is your one one thing that the the guys
2: inside have told me um the movie Shawshank Redemption is probably one of the more accurate Mm. movies for things to go on yeah
4: Hmm. Um one that's, of the That's terrible, by the way. <laughs> I enjoyed it, but No, that's terrible news. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh-huh. I, see what I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. And say really was it that bad? No. So, shit.
2: <laughs> one movie that was was um quite pivotal for me was Dead Man Walking. That mm. made me really challenge my beliefs on something. Um because I was quite young men, you know, just starting out in school and talking about capital punishment. And each time I watch that movie, I have a different take on how I feel about it. Um, but there's a lot of really good documentaries out now. Um, Conviction is one that was came out quite recently about females, uh, women inside.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so there's a lot of, uh, you know, and the, the correctional system for women is, is pretty amazing in Canada because they don't have these, you know, maximum security places. They're more like, um, and the in, uh, indigenous facilities are, are healing lodges. They don't have fences. They don't have barbed wire. The women's facilities don't have, you know, fences.
3: So, sorry, the the women could be, a woman could be, a woman that has theft under 5,000 could be doing time with somebody who did like a double murder?
2: um yeah anything more than two years um would be at that would be at that facility
3: <coughs> wow yeah. because as far as i understand maximum is supposed to be for aggressive and the, less the and less female, aggressive right
2: the female institution doesn't even have maximum medium minimum well that's
1: it's what i'm saying facility. is that because there's a smaller population yeah of female offenders. that's what I think
2: people I tell us all the time you should have a house for women um We have, you know, a handful of of women on parole in Windsor-Essex County, and, like, I I couldn't keep a house open. Because most of them get day right to the community. They don't even go to a a halfway house because they're not necessarily violent. It's usually because the boyfriend got mixed up with trafficking and she's helping or she's,
5: you
3: know. And having, like, a left and right side of the house won't work probably, right? Oh,
1: that,
4: <laughs> that was. A pause. Pause. I got mean, oh, problems. No. <laughs> no. So it's just operationally, in the whole of Canada, like are all of these institutions, um, gender specific? Yes. Like even like a local regional jail, like even.
2: Uh, now our local jail, there are two. It is uh, they have both male and female, but obviously separate ways.
3: Yeah.
2: federal is completely segregated.
3: You know that you know that Canada, Canadian government just gave out the first uh, gender X passport?
1: No. What? what?
3: Yeah, what? yeah, 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 the NBC there's a first person that got a passport where gender says X. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. yeah, <laughs> okay, sorry, what? sorry, see see What 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 happened to that person?
2: Um I was going to say Canada I'm I'm really proud of um Canada in the sense that they will house people on how they identify, not on biology. So there was um, a female hmm. that was going to be coming to our facility who was technically biologically still male, mm-hmm. but living as a female within um, the institution. And this individual was actually released to the female um, institution and a female halfway house, biologically still male, but because she identified as female, she was placed in a female. Um, you agree with that?
1: that?
2: I do what happens
4: i mean this is getting way into the weeds on that but like what happens (laughs) when there's someone who identifies as um what like non-binary like they don't choose a gender like (laughs) what where do they get funneled just wherever they biologically match with
2: well and that's the thing it's so new that i you know we're everybody's trying to kind of figure out what to do like in with our halfway house this individual was planning on coming to us but she identified as a female so I I didn't know how we were gonna navigate that because we have double occupancy rooms. We have one bathroom, we couldn't accommodate her. So she ended up going to a a female-based halfway house. Um, But I was on the um, advisory board at our local provincial jail. And there was an individual who um, was clearly living as a male, biologically male, but referred to herself as female. So they were really struggling with where to put this person, and she was in a cell by herself in segregation oh, because they didn't is- know where to to place her because she she looked and you know still had the biology of a male, but the women weren't comfortable having this person in their area because. To them, she was still living as a male and appeared as a male. And that was obviously very triggering for a lot of these women that have, you know, horrific histories of abuse and sexual abuse.
1: Yeah. So I was just going to say any woman that's ever been abused by a man, I can see right away why they'd have concern with that. Just because you wear a dress and you call yourself by a female name you're still especially with a bigger guy like someone i'm six foot four like 270 pounds if i'm my name's crystal now no no woman's gonna be around me right like they've been abused before crystal
2: (laughs) and a lot of times these folks prefer to be in segregation they want to be you know either in protective custody or or by themselves because they are harassed
5: and and
3: yeah do you think there could be grounds for people to start faking it to try and do um less of a severe time
2: Um, I don't know. There'll always be would you be willing to go to that extent? You know, to live as a female to to think you're going to get it easier? I I don't know. The odds of that happening, I think, are are pretty slim.
1: Yeah, it would Um, take a unique individual to do some shit like that. I'm just. uh,
2: I've had had, you know people when I was on the board at, at the local jail. Well what if so-and-so's girlfriend's in there and, you know, he's going to pretend he's female to be with his girlfriend? Well, I think we're going to see through that,
4: you know? Yeah. <laughs> Coming soon to Netflix. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I guess you can't just switch on a chord date, right? Yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, Catherine, this has been awesome. Is there any other things you want to get in before we let you go? Because I fear if I don't wrap this up now, we're going to keep going to 3 a.m. <laughs> no, um,
2: Just, you know, if anybody's listening and, and if they ever have Real questions about the criminal justice system, or they, they want to know how it works, or they have somebody going, you know, a son or a family member that's going through it, they can always reach out for support, or we can direct you to, you know, the right, the right resource, um, you know, and and ask questions, don't judge, ask questions.
1: Perfect. Well, thanks so much for your time, Catherine. I Thank can't you. tell you how much we appreciate this. Is awesome. I'll I will appreciate
2: follow- it. Thank you.
1: I'll follow up with you afterwards. And uh, obviously, I'll send you the links once everything's posted. Yeah. For Catherine Brooke, Amy Barton, Krill Kasatsky, I'm Jay Kelly. This is the Building Downtown. Thank we you. out base. Thank you. The building downtown. Building downtown. Building downtown.